Hi, friends. Welcome to the Connected Families Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Bellward. Our purpose in this podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth and then equip you to pass that grace and truth on to your children. I'm so glad that you're here today. Well, hey, everybody, we are here in September, which means that our main course, Discipline That Connects With Your Child's Heart, is open for registration right now. Go to connectedfamilies.org or our show notes for all the details. But here's the thing, registration for this cohort is open right now. And the next time that you will be able to join it is one year from now. So we want you to know that so you can go and register right away. Well, I'll talk more about the course later, and we have a bonus testimonial from someone who took the course and saw beautiful transformation. We're going to air that at the very end of our podcast today, so stay tuned. But for today, joining me today is Jim and Lynn Jackson, co-founders of Connected Families, and we're going to be talking about our faces. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my thing, but <laughs> oh, Jim and Lynn are there. We're going to talk about our faces. High school PTSD right away. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Jim and Lynn, welcome to the podcast. We're going to talk about what our children see on our face in times of discipline. This is really uh, relevant for people who are starting to think. Do I want to register for discipline that connects with your child's heart? Because we're really going to be covering in very brief, some of the things that we talk about in session one and two, that course has been around a few years, man. I can remember when the three of us were setting up, I say, quote unquote, studio in, uh, you know, a lady's home that we borrowed for a few days and we got the cameras and all the, remember that day? Oh, I sure I remember do. it well. <laughs> uh, well. We've come a little ways since then, haven't we? We we have. And I think what's just most encouraging to me is just the pages of testimonials mm-hmm. that we go through when it comes time to talk about the course again, the testimonials of life transformation. So I just want to ask you guys of, of everything that we teach in that eight session course, what are just a few of the things that you think resonate the deepest with parents? Yeah. I want to go back in time, even before connected families begun for just a little bit. Sure. Because Lynn and I were both in different ways working with parents. And then we we founded Connected Families out of professional experience with other people's kids in different settings. But we, we all along, we were working with parents and we knew some stuff intuitively and we would share ideas and parents would really like what we said about, you know, the importance of being safe with your child or making sure that you stayed connected with your children or, or making sure that you kept a light heart, you know, and we had all these principles, but they just weren't unified in a mm-hmm. systematic way of thinking. And so parents had a hard time remembering. Um, And over the years, we've developed this way of thinking about parenting that's been refined by experience after experience after experience of working with in real time with parents and real challenges and and seeing the effects. And the course is really a distillation of everything we learned over 20 years. And along the way, it it started to make sense. Let's put these ideas into a simple framework. So the first thing that the course offers is a framework that we didn't just design in order to write a course. It was a it's a framework that was tested and tried over time and parents continued to report more and more amazing impact and transformation in their families. Yeah. It's like sort of a, an immediate think on your feet, insight giver, just to, to understand the principles in it. 
I think that's so key. It's memorable, isn't it? And we even say it here at Connected Families, the framework is on the magnet. <laughs> so um, it's easy to remember. And that's key because there are, were so many ideas out in the air. I like that. What are some of the other things that parents take away and are resonating with? Yeah, I think the first thing that we hear parents say often, and I've been doing some interviews with different end users recently, and pretty consistently, they say what what stands out about the connected families approach and the things that we learned is that A, it's deeply biblical, but B, it really draws well on on modern, popular, uh, well-tested science and psychological principle, and it melds those things beautifully together. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of a a passion of mine is because I love all the little nerdy sciencey stuff, and I love scripture. (laughs) Sure. Such a nerd sometimes. <laughs> I'm a big nerd. <laughs> and everybody and love- loves that you bring that too. <laughs> and I love scripture and I just love kind of putting them all together. So mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that's that's really key is just that parents appreciate the call to look at ourselves first. It's a natural thing to just want it to be about something to fix my child's behavior. But when you start to dive into what is really keeping families stuck, it often starts with the anxieties and the stress in the parent's heart. So starting there is actually freeing and encouraging because parents get a sense of, oh, this is why we're stuck. And when I bring God's grace and truth into it, we can get unstuck. I remember long ago before Connected Families started, I was working with parent groups and parent and the word got out and, and parents were getting help and parents would come and they would want to know, Jim, what do you do with a teenager when they do X, Y, or Z thing? And what I learned was that if I just told them what to do without inviting them and helping them do the hard work of looking inward to understand what's going on inside of them first, that I would give them a, a method that they could use and maybe manage behavior for a little bit, but it wasn't an approach that they could use that that really access both their own heart and their own kids' hearts in the process. And it and it created in the end, I think, more difficulty than than help because parents would then get more frustrated and their mm-hmm. kids would get more frustrated because the method quit working. But the principles that we teach aren't a method. They're a way of thinking that's steeped in God's grace and truth for us as parents. And that's why we invite parents to take captive their thoughts to Christ's obedience, even in the hard work of disciplining their children. But what I love about it is that while that verse could sometimes frustrate me over the years when I heard them from the pulpit, not knowing what to do with it, we give tangible, specific action steps, which start with the question, what's going on in me? So I can apply that verse with the question, what's going on in me? In fact, that is one of the testimonials I pulled. It was a mom who said, I first heard about the course on the podcast from a friend's recommendation. So yay, yay. Thanks for recommending our podcast, everybody to your friends. But this mom says, when I heard the quote, what's going on in me, unquote question, I knew I needed to look more into this. So my husband and I took the discipline that connects course. And she said it was so helpful. So down to earth. Yeah. It's just an important foundation of where we start in the course and where we lead families, Mm -hmm. which kind of brings me to our question today. What does my child see on my face? during times of discipline. And I know in the first two sessions, you talk about 
fast, large, and loud. And that that's often the place that parents come to the course um, because they're experiencing that in their lives. And I'm guessing, well, I'm not even guessing. I know this by now, Jim and Lynn, that everything you teach, you walked, you lived. So (laughs) you lived fast, large, and loud in the past. What did that look like? I have been fast, large, and loud. <laughs> Simba, I was too, me. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, it's interesting, Stacy. I mean, uh, and we've not, uh, you put it in the past tense. The truth is I still have a tendency and inclination to show up fast, large, and loud. It looks much different than it used to. It used to be blatant. It used to be obvious. You know, I would pound fists or furrow brows, raise voices, put hands on hips, demand behavior or else essentially became really good at at leveraging my children's fear in order to get them to do what I wanted them to do. That's not, we don't call that obedience. We call that compliance. Obedience is a child does the right thing and they understand why and they do it for the right reason. And that's out of wisdom. We teach our kids wisdom and the fast, large and loud approach really didn't teach our kids wisdom. But even as I've aged, I recognize my inclination. I was watching a video of myself even just yesterday and something happened in the background while I was interviewing somebody. My face got fast, large and loud for just an instant. Okay. And I have to go back and see the videotape of it happening. <laughs> and I recognized it immediately. I said, Lynn, come over here and look at this. Uh-huh. And she saw just a little blip of my eye roll, my facial expression changed, my shoulders drop. In an instant, I was fast, large, and loud. And our mm-hmm. kids, they notice this stuff and it becomes defining for them if they feel by our fast, large, and loudness, if they start to feel any sense of fear. So, I mean, I remember numerous times where I never raised my voice at all, but the kids would say, why are you yelling? It wasn't because my voice was loud. It was because my countenance was angry. And my facial expression told them, dad's mad right now. Dad's upset right now. And I better be afraid or something bad could happen. How did fast, large, and loud look for you, Lynn? I think it was more like a really quick desire to control the situation. So I wasn't usually (laughs) as explosive, but I'd be like, okay, guys, that is not okay. You need to stop that right now. So kind of like intimidation in the intensity versus like yelling or raising my hands, you know, or big physical gestures, but you could see it in the furrowed brow. Yeah. Yeah, Our faces are, are more connected to our emotions than I think we have any idea about. I mean, there's, there's some people who suggest there's 16 distinct facial expressions that are known worldwide as expressions of particular emotion that people have. And our kids are students of our faces. They read more from our faces about how we're doing and what's going on in us than any Anything else? Mm-hmm. Well, and researcher Michael McKnight says the amygdala, which is the fight or flight center, reads tone of voice and facial expressions to separate friend from foe. And that's actually the job of a fight or flight center. Am I dealing with a friend or a foe? If I'm dealing with someone who's opposing me, who's against me, who I don't feel safe with, then I'm going to either run (laughs) or dig in my heels and react back. So it's just really important awareness. And even, you know, taking that deep breath and just thinking calm face, eyebrows up. I love this kid. You know, whatever it takes to sort of combine that is really helpful. And it's interesting that if we start with a little shift in belief, like what's the opportunity here, which was my personal fave. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Or I love this kid. Like one dad would remind himself of that. And then just think calm face. 
Eyebrows up. Yeah. It, it sends a feedback loop to your own brain. You're not in danger. You don't have to freak out and control your child right now. Yeah. So our facial expressions feed back to our own brains. Mm-hmm. There was actually a, a, some researchers that would practice different facial expressions and photograph them. And if they photographed angry or discouraged faces all day, when they went home, they just felt awful all evening. So to take that breath, to remember God's with me or whatever. I really like that facial expression. And I know that you've talked about calm face. I know I've said this before, but I think um, when I first started going through discipline that connects way before I was on staff here, it was like, there's a lot here. What's the one thing I want to work on in the next three days? That's what I remember thinking. And it was a calm face. And it was just that phrase. So it was taking kind of what you just said, Lynn. I didn't have the eyebrows up idea at the time, but it was, I would sometimes pat my cheeks. Okay. What is my face looking like? Because like you said, Jim, my kids would sometimes say that to me. Why are you mad? And I'd be like, I'm not mad. And I think it was because like you, Lynn, for me, fast, large and loud was a more, you said intense, I would say maybe controlling. I felt the need to control the situation. So I was stern and strong and this is what needs to happen and you need to do this and you need to do that. So then their amygdala was firing. There was a little bit of friend or foe going on there for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. What we take time in the course to teach in, in at some length is really to develop sort of this set of patterns and habits to be self-aware, but also to act differently. Motion changes emotion. Lynn just described, you know, so be conscious of calm face, like put on calm face, but how can I do that if I'm not feeling calm? Well, take a deep breath, take a step back, say a prayer, a breath prayer, Lord help, or Lord give wisdom, or Lord protect my children from me right now, (laughs) or, or something, and start practicing new habits, new motions, new, literally physically, I used to just take a step back. We teach a way out of being fast, large, and loud, which is to take a step back. Forward progress begins with a backward step. Well, that backward step helps me to take a breath, helps me to calm down. It calms my brain. It calms my nervous system. It helps me become more aware of what's going on, first of all, in me and then in my kids. And then over time, little by little, as we make patterns and habits out of those motions that at first are done more fundamentally, like they haven't really affected my mind yet, my heart, my soul, but they do because the the brain kicks in the oxygen levels. Lynn, you just explained it about the chemistry that happens in your brain changes when you start to make these motions. And then I don't know if we say this in the course or not, but we have a belief that the Holy Spirit has, has best access to us through our frontal lobe. And when we're operating in our amygdala and in, you know, in the fight or flight mechanisms and in survival mode, our frontal lobe is not very engaged at all. Us as parents, our kids. And so the goal is, is to learn these habits, these practices that help us to literally become calm inside, not just depicted on the outside. Because if I'm trying to depict it on the outside as a habit all the time, my kids at first might be impacted by it. But in three or four days later, they're mm-hmm. like, I know that's just a new trick you're doing to get me to do what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. And then that can erode trust. And then the trust gets right. Exactly. Trust erodes and things actually get worse, not better over which time. Is, which is why parents appreciate being asked the what's going on in me question. Why do I need to be so controlling right now? Is there something that I can just receive from the Lord about to just relax that part of me and engage differently? 
So all this stuff really, Stacey, is about how do we learn as parents to earn our children's trust? Awareness of what's going on in me, awareness of how the way that I do things impacts my child, what's their perception of it, just because it's justified to me to do it for some right reason in my mind. If what my child reads from my actions isn't aligned with that, then they're not growing in wisdom. They're just deepening their sense of fear and and over time resentment. If our kids are afraid of us most of the time or much of the time by how we deal with their discipline, over time, that fear becomes not just lack of trust, but it becomes resentment. And then they start acting out of that resentment and moving toward us with aggressive acts of various kinds. And we wonder what's going on now. And so that's why when our kids said, why are you mad all the time, mom? That's why I wanted to change. I realized what I was showing them was not what I wanted to communicate. I wanted my face to reflect what was in my heart, which was actually just so much love. I just was so task-driven to get the day done, maybe, (laughs) that it was coming off really rigid. And so I cared about what my face looked like. That's why we're having this conversation today. And, you know, Lynn, you were talking about eyebrows and I was talking about patting my face and just the things that we want to do with our face. Those were sort of like very specific, like think about one, two, and three. But I know what we do really well at Connected Families is even go deeper than that. Like let's peel away another layer because you just said it, Jim, like, you know, we don't want to do tricks. We don't want to do something for three days and then actually erode trust because it's just a quick fix. It's not. So as we go deeper to make that a natural habit, right? Our face now changes. It it comes more naturally because we've been working on it. To me, the question is what's going on under the surface. And we, we answer that question for ourselves, but also for our kids. And that was key for me to make the change on my face permanent. Because now I could start thinking in terms of this is not just the behavior that I'm seeing or the task I'm trying to accomplish. What is deeper? What's going on in my child? What's going on in me? What's the, per- you know, what what really needs to happen right now? And that was the game changer that helped me be able to shift my fast, large and loud to slow, low and listen, which we haven't mentioned yet in the podcast, but we teach in the course and we'll get there. So can you just talk more about that whole concept? It's deep, I know, but of what's going on under the surface and how that relates to the question, what's going on in me and what's going on in my child? I think a lot of times parents have expectations going into a situation that it's supposed to look like this. My kids are supposed to be obedient. I'm always supposed to be in charge, well-respected. And when that doesn't happen, then it's like we have this goal that's pre-established that we're not really in control of. We're not in control of whether or not a child does a certain action that we're wanting them to do. And so when our goal is that control, then we hand them the power over our emotions. But if we have a goal to parent wisely and to guide them towards wise choices, we're in control of that goal, which automatically reduces stress because anger and stress happen when we have high expectations, but low power or authority. So if my goal is this high expectation that I want my kids to be immediately obedient, and I can't actually control another human being, (laughs) 
mm-hmm. like I would like to, that gap is where all that anger comes from. That anger is, is a lot about a blocked goal and it may reveal other emotions under the surface. But um, for us to shift our goal from, I want an obedient child right now, because that's what I expect to, I want to sense what's going on in my child so I can guide them well mm-hmm. and parent wisely that's a mm-hmm. goal that I have much more agency over. When we're able to take you know, fair chunks of time, especially with individual parents, but even in the context of workshops that we've conducted or the course, ask the parents to start thinking about you know, what are those what are those little statements that are kind of running through the back of your mind that run over and over again? And how do they impact you? Statements like, I, I'm the dad, they should respect me, or I shouldn't have to deal with this right now. What will people think of us if they see my kids acting this way in public? What will they think of me? What if I'm getting my value from my children? You know, we, we had an experience, I don't remember if we talk about this in the course or not, but we talk about it all the time, a parent who's listening to his son behind a closed door doing a piano exam. So all the parents are sitting out in the hall and and the dad, every time a mistake happens, is out in the hall and he goes, oh, mm, he practiced better than that. Like everybody knows it's his kid. And now he's trying to ward off the shame he feels because mm-hmm. his child isn't performing well. Well, how many of us have shame because our kids aren't performing the way they should, aren't behaving the way that they should? There's a deep thing that happens in us as parents that if we take time to consider it and think about it and wonder about those little statements that we tell us, We recognize a lot of what we sometimes say to ourselves is lies. It's lies that come from the world's performance standards on us as people, on our kids. And we want to teach people to confront those lies with God's truth, with eternal truth, and stand in the gap between these expectations for my kids to be a certain way and the understanding that they are who God made them. They're miraculously crafted for God's purposes, built to do what God prepared for them to do in his image. And we're stewards of that. And isn't it precious? And when it doesn't work out the way I'd like it to or think it should, that's not about me. That's about my child's growth and and learning. Super good. Lynn talks about toxic half-truths or half-lies. They're so important for us to dig deeper into understanding how we're operating with our kids. And really those, those things that we believe are the reasons why we are showing up big, large, and loud. And so um, that's the work. That's the important work. Jim and Lynn, we're going to go to a break, but I want to invite our listeners to stay after for a beautiful story from a person that took discipline that connects. That will be at the end of of the episode today. Okay, right now we're going to go to a break. Hey parent, whether your child is two or 12 or 17, you know that occasionally they are going to misbehave. How you respond during those moments of misbehavior can actually grow your child's heart closer to you, or rather sometimes build walls between you. This is what we teach in our eight session moderated online course called Discipline That Connects With Your Child's Heart. You'll be equipped to handle the messiness of parenting with confidence so that you come away thinking, wow, that went so much better. When you're done with the course, you'll have the tools to integrate these four core messages into all of your parenting. You are safe with me. You are loved no matter what. You are called and capable, and you are responsible for your actions. We integrate biblical truth and brain science to equip you to lead your family with God's grace and truth. Register soon. The course launches on Tuesday, October 4th. Your kids will thank you. Check out connectedfamilies.org for all the information so that you can register today. 
All right, Jim and Lynn, we're back after the break and we've been diving deep into the foundational layer of the framework that uh, communicates that message. You are safe with me. And so our topic today has been about what our face looks like when we're disciplining our kids and really what they see when we're in the middle of discipline and, and the work that it takes to shift our approach from fast, large, and loud, and then shift that with understanding of what's going on in us and then what's going on inside of our kids so that we can have our faces literally look different and then come across to our kids slow, low, and listen. We're going to talk a little bit more about slow, low, and listen, but I want to touch right now on that question, what's going on in our kids and that deeper understanding that also helps us really shift how we show up. Could you talk about that more? What's going on in our kids at some level, really thinking about that, giving energy about that is, is what drove Lynn and I to start doing what we do. Because if I'm not considerate of what it's like to be this other person at the hand of my behavior of any kind, really, but discipline especially, then, then my discipline of them is really more about me than it is about them. But if I'm able to develop a heart of compassion for this young, growing, developing human who's struggling with the problem of sin in their lives, with growth in their lives, with common developmental phases of their lives, if I'm not developing compassion for what it's like to be them, I can't really discipline them effectively. And so we invite parents to ask this question over and over and over again as really the source of most of their parental actions, because my good intent intentions alone aren't good enough. Number one, they're tempered by my own sin and my own tendencies. But when I can start to develop, nurture, have God change my heart so that it's a heart of compassion toward my struggling child, my face changes without having to think about it. Now, the fruit of the spirit comes to life in how I parent more when I'm able to develop a sense of compassion for the struggling little human being. Mm-hmm. And if you just even think when we are compassionate, boy, that shows in our face and our eyebrows do naturally raise. And I was coaching a mom who mornings were just awful with her kiddo, you know, and, and she's, she stepped into what was going on in her and what was going on in her child. And she recognized she had just been like riding her this sensory sensitive, disorganized, stressed out little kiddo, you know, to naturally nagging her with all the steps of getting out the door. And she, she thought, wow, that's got to be so tough for her. And I'm just pouring my anxiety onto her. So she kind of identified what she was believing, which was like, the whole world is going to explode if you don't get out the door. Ridiculous. Why am I making such a big deal of it? She wrote, I don't even know. The message I want to send is that you're capable and able to get out the door. And that shift of self-awareness, awareness of what it was like to be her child, just naturally changed the dynamic of their mornings. They began to do a little problem solving. You know, she would just sort of occasionally engage with her daughter in a lighthearted way. It's like, wow, you're getting there. You know, mm-hmm. what else do you need to do? Or just, just even smile and hug her or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it just... It transferred the responsibility off of her trying to control the situation and onto her daughter who did not want to walk into the classroom Mm -hmm. late, but just needed to feel that ownership and that belief of her parent. So that's kind of the principles we're talking about in action with a relatively common experience for people. I had a dad not long ago who been through the course and he even received some parent coaching through one of our team. And he told me about an incident where his son was being defiant about doing chores and dad kept, kept kind of 
them nagging him and riding him. And you can't go do the next thing until you've done these chores. And the son, you know, was a very sensitive young man and kind of right on the edge, preteen, I think. And he blew up. And when he blew up at dad, he he swept his arm across the countertop where the chores were, which was putting away the dishes. And the dishes went all over the floor and a bunch of them broke. Yep. And dad said, in my default, I just wanted to stand tall and point my finger at him and tell him to clean that mess up right now if he ever wants to go be with his friends again or whatever it was. But he said, I remember the teaching in the course to access my compassion for my son. And he told me through tears, I thought of that verse where Jesus looked at the multitudes and and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I felt God's call to me in that moment as a dad to be my son's shepherd, not to whack him with a stick, not to scold him with verbal lashings, but to be with him in this. And so I just sat there and then I decided I would sweep a little spot out on the kitchen floor amongst the broken dishes and just tell my son, I'm just going to be here with you till you're ready to talk. It's going to be okay. And we'll figure this out together. That was now, and then they solved the, the problem very effectively. And the son, without being forced to or asked to or being given any sort of a consequence, asked dad what kind of help he should give to clean up the mess. And then he said he was sorry. And he said, I hate how I am sometimes. And I wish you could help me be better. Wow. That didn't come because mm. of any method that was wow. told. That came because a dad accessed the compassion he had for his son because he recognized his son was like a lost sheep without a shepherd, which is, of course, a reference to Jesus' words. Mm -hmm. And so dad embodied Jesus in that discipline and the son learned and the dad learned and the, the mess got made right. The problem got solved wisely, respectfully, and in a spirit filled sort of a way, rather than just sort of some methodical mandated behavioral sort of a way. That is a beautiful story of change. It reminds me of uh, a phrase, uh, a sentence that you teach in the online course that says changing beliefs is the starting place for getting unstuck. And so that's what was one of the key thoughts really in both of the stories is that the parent stopped and thought, what am I believing here? <laughs> is getting my daughter to school on time? Is that my responsibility? Do I need to own this or not? And so she shifted that to new thinking. And, and so did that dad. Like I'm sure he had old tapes that if he had ran with those old tapes, things could have turned out much different. This is such good, important, deep work that we're doing. It's the work in, in ourselves and then the work to understand our kids. And so we do all of that. It does not mean, though, that when we're in the heat of the moment, that everything's still calm and we show up the way we want to every time. And so I know that even Lynn, like you've done extra videos and resources that just give more ideas for parents on how to calm in the moment, how to deal with that heat of the moment. And so I wonder if we could spend our last, you know, five or so minutes just giving some more practical tools for parents that are just, yeah, are struggling because our bodies get used to getting all hot and heavy <laughs> in the moment. And we need to work and have tools to bring it down and come to a, show up in a way that we want to. I'm trying to remember right now how the do-over concept started. Because I remember a time as a young dad, and we're just learning these ideas. And we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to apply what we're teaching other parents in our own lives. And one day I came in the house and I was all a rage and 
had had a bad day at work and the kids were sitting at the table arguing. And as soon as I saw them arguing, I blew up at them. And you were fast, large, and loud. It was fast, large, and loud. Okay. And, but, I, but I recognized, okay, we're doing the stuff and that's not, that's not compassionate and that's not honoring to them. And that's just all about me and my anger and what I need. And, and I, and I just looked up at them and I, I said, you know, could I, could I have a do-over or could I do that again? I don't know if I did that because we had already been talking about this or yeah, whether it just sort of came, it, it was back, you know, this is 20 years or, or more ago. And uh, I just, I, I literally recognized that I didn't like what I had done. And I asked the kids if I could do it again, the way I wanted and, and more present and conscious to who they were and what their needs were. And they said, sure. And they're looking at me all weird. Like, what's he going to do? And I started to kind of try to talk backwards. And I backed <laughs> exactly. And then I backed into the garage and while I was in the garage. I just prayed, Lord, give me, give me your wisdom for this and, and give me your heart for my kids. And then I came in the door and of course they were just sitting there wondering what was going on. They were already kind of grinning. Now I'm grinning and it's like, Hey kids, you know, I've, I've had a hard day and you're making a lot of noise. Can I help you with something? Or could you take that downstairs so that I could get a little rest here before dinner? And they just looked, oh, sure, dad, it'll be fine. And Daniel even said, when I came in the first time, our oldest son said, dad, you didn't connect first. <laughs> they had learned talking, the ropes by then. Yeah. And talking about these things and, and trying to be accountable to our kids for the things we were learning. And, and so then you, you didn't connect first. Oh, I want to do that again. And so I did. And, yeah. and I think what we've learned since then is pretty, pretty telling about that idea. Mm-hmm. Just how that you know, it's so difficult to just decide I'm going to do something differently and then remember that in the heat of the moment. But when we, you know, back up and respond in the way we wished we had, then that creates brain pathways yeah. and it makes it so much easier to, to do that response next time. So we have some specific helpful tips about do-overs that really make it much more powerful than just, yeah. oh, I got to try that again. Right. But the bottom line is don't wait till next time to do it differently. Do it differently right now. Yeah. I love that. So you described do-overs, you mentioned do-overs. Do-overs, I asked you the question in the very beginning of the podcast, like what? What resonates with people? I would say from being an online course moderator and all my work here, I think do-overs are top five for the things that people take. They apply to their lives the day they learn it and they see transformation. It just, they're amazing. Uh, there's so, there's so much gospel that's just ingrained into the concept of do-overs also. Right. And that's the really key thing because do-overs is kind of all over the internet on parenting stuff, but right. what gives them power. And I've seen this time and time again is not, okay, guys, we need to do a do-over that didn't go well. That has no grace in it. But when we bring God's grace into it, and it's like, oh, that's not how I really want to do that. I'd like to do a do-over. And then to celebrate that at the end, that's what puts power into that and changes brain pathways. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really key. I remember doing a do-over and then just saying to my kids, didn't do over. Will you just give me a high five? Please celebrate <laughs> with me. Like, you know, <laughs> I love that. yeah, that's good. Okay. Lynn, I know like you just bring the detail, the tool, and, and you have a list that I know that you would love to go through that are just going to be more helps for people as they're trying to apply this idea of changing how their face looks in the moment. Why don't you go through some of those as we end our podcast today? Well, I think a really 
really key thing is just to try to take a little bit of a break. And that's kind of part of the slow principle. And we surveyed like a hundred parents. And there was really interesting that there was three practical tools for self-calming in the heat of the moment that had exact same number of parents saying, yeah, that helps me. And it was prayer, just grabbing a little alone time and then deep breathing. So those three things surfaced of of the choices that we gave. What was the first one? Prayer, deep breathing, and a little bit of alone time. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So, and we love the, the strategy of one of our staff. She does breath prayers. So she combines them, you know, and, and while she's breathing in, she says to herself, I breathe in God's love. I breathe out God's peace. And then she just swaps it out, you know, whatever mm-hmm. she thinks of, she breathes it in and then she breathes out something. So I think that that's, that's just a good example of integrating. I'm not just going to try to do this thing and change my thinking. I'm going to pair the, the physical scientific based breathing principle with the spiritual bringing God's grace and truth into my heart kind of a thing. Another thing is just sometimes parents need really big stuff. Like one mom said, uh, the breathing doesn't help me. I need to do volley. I was a volleyball player and I jump and I touched the ceiling 10 times. <laughs> yeah, I could never do, um, <laughs> you know, and then there's a dad doing push-ups when it's a tough time with a kiddo at bedtime. Other parents said cleaning, uh, even noise canceling headphones. So thinking really practical about their own own, their own needs for sensory calming and movement and, and that kind of thing. Does the mom who told me that she takes a little jar of chocolate chips and sets them on the counter and she grabs one and then sucks on it? Is that, does that fit into sensory as a calming technique, Lynn? It does happen to be the mom who does volleyball jumps. <laughs> <laughs> Same person. Same person. And we'll be it, oh, is it? with her. Yeah. I loved that idea. One little chocolate chip. That's all I take. One and I just like, like let it sit in my mouth for a low minute. <laughs> yeah, eats a lot of chocolate chips and balances them out with volleyball jumps. Right. There we go. <laughs> so, a little practical thing is just to to change environments. Step out of the room, go to the mm. porch, just kind of take that little stop and pause. It, it's different sensory cues that can help you swap out what's going on in your nervous system. Well, thanks, Jim and Lynn. We've covered a lot today. A lot of key concepts that are covered in session one and two of the discipline that connects with your child's heart online course. And so thanks for being with me. It was fun as always. Yes, indeed. It was. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. I strongly suggest that you check out the show notes for a link to discipline that connects with your child's heart. Registration is open and the course starts in just a few weeks. Well, today's episode was a small taste of what the whole course teaches. And if that content in this podcast has been helpful, consider also sharing this podcast information about Discipline That Connects with a friend. Those steps are so helpful to spread God's grace and truth to more parents. It's also more fun to do the course with a friend. (laughs) Well, before I close the podcast, I want to share a story of a parent who took the course. It's just only a couple of minutes. Ami is a mom of three. She talks about her biggest takeaways after taking the course, and she filmed this with her nine-month-old on her lap. And he sometimes jingles or rattle, right? As babies do, you'll hear that in the recording. But I love Ami, and I think you will too. Listen in. We recently heard about a ministry called Connected Families and signed up for a course that they had 
called Discipline That Connects With Your Child's Heart, an eight-week online moderated course. And as I started to share a minute ago before I got all discombobulated, I have written about before how the desire to be a parent who leads with grace and a desire to be a gospel-driven parent and a parent who shepherds instead of just meets out harsh punishment or criticism or gives in to anger. And these are lots of things that God has taught me over the last four years of having children. And I remember the first time when Hudson was a baby, he was... I don't know, six or seven months old. And it was during a time when he was struggling with sleep. I mean, like the boy woke up eight times a night sometimes and we were exhausted. I was exhausted and he didn't want David. I remember the first time like my anger just exploded out at him. Just this place where I couldn't believe how angry I was at my little boy. This beautiful baby that I adore and love with all my heart, how I could be so angry at him. And what also happened in that moment was it also struck me just how much my own childhood had affected me in that moment and how much I didn't know that it still did. And I realized I am still struggling with this in ways that I never have known that I would. And so I have read many books on parenting and sought out many resources and have come across some really great books in the last four years that have helped us with our overall philosophy and have been great resources, but and stuck in these unhelpful patterns and stuck in uh, feeling like I was patient, 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 patient with the kids and then just I'm gonna just explode all over you and feeling the guilt and shame of that. And I, so I have been praying and seeking and the resources to shepherd our children after God's own heart and to 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 help them grow in wisdom and stature, you know, and and all of those things. So anyways, we found out about this course and guys, it's so fantastic. And I felt like for the first time I was being given the practical tools to back up this philosophy that we have been building and wanting to have this um, and the tools to, to root and ground our shepherding in scripture and in the gospel and, and to have a framework. They kind of go through this framework of foundation, teaching the children you are safe with me and connect, you are loved, coach, you are called and capable. And then finally, after all that is the correct, you are responsible for your actions. And they ask us uh, who took the course, so what is your biggest takeaway from this course? And I would say, man, there's so much. But I think the biggest thing is how to start with myself. And before I can ever address any situation with my child, I have to start with me being safe. How is my posture? How is my language? How is my tone of voice? Am I big and large and loud? And am I causing that kid to go into flight or fight? Spirited, passionate boy who is, he is never going to be in flight. <laughs> he is always 100% going to be in fight. And you know what? So is his mom when things get escalated. And so... This course has helped so much to, to go back and just take a step and to learn how to have the strategies to calm my own heart first so that I can talk through something with Hudson and so that we can help him get to the place where he's responsible for his actions and also to get to where we can get to his heart and not just behavior management or just to fix something short term, but to, to be able to get down to that deeper level. And so I would highly recommend this course. And there's so much more I could say. Thanks, friends. Oh.
Tommy's so fantastic. You know, I was emailing with her this week and she said this, I'm continuing to see so much growth in myself and my children as we use the framework. We have our rough moments for sure, but I find angry outbursts, particularly as I relate to my very intense, sensitive firstborn to be much fewer and farther between. And she said, my husband and I are looking forward to doing coaching with Lydia in November. (laughs) That's so great. Well, I really appreciate Ami sharing her story. And we look forward to getting to know you more if you register and jump into the discipline that connects with your child's heart online course. All of the details are in our show notes. They're on all of our social channels on our website, connectedfamilies.org. Thanks for being with me today. I will see you next time time.